0: This is Sparks and Wiry Cries, taking a modern look at classical song with Martha Guth and Erica Switzer.
1: Welcome to Sparks and Wiry Cries, a podcast all about song and singers.
2: Yes, we are going to dive right in to Debussy and Baudelaire, two giants of French music we are looking at three of the five Baudelaire songs that he wrote. That's right. They're
1: incredibly beautiful songs, huge songs, important yeah. songs. Fiendishly difficult. Ridiculously difficult and not often performed.
2: Yeah. We have... Uh, oh, by the way, I'm Martha Guth and this is Erica Switzer. I still am. Um, yes. yes. Still still Erica. Uh, but we have performers Jonathan Sells, baritone, and Mark Werder, pianist. They are both... Of the British persuasion. (laughs) And we want to say
1: thank you to them for sending us these songs. They really are stunning.
2: So what makes these songs so difficult exactly? Uh, A lot of things. I think uh, you mentioned earlier, they're really long. I think that they are, Debussy is expanding into a world that is, has not, at least in his lifetime, had not fully been explored This is kind of new territory for him. That's right. Really high romantic, Wagner-inspired. Exactly. And it sounds like that today. It still sounds difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, from the piano
1: perspective, it's just difficult to play these pieces. Yeah. Regardless of how long they are, it's just physically difficult. They're like orchestral parts, but they really are written for piano.
2: Exactly. And although I have not uh, sung these songs before, Jonathan must have a huge range. I mean, he just does. They're huge dynamically. They're huge just you know the lowest note to the highest note they are really I think emotionally they've got a huge range too absolutely yeah
1: Yeah, it starts out with these huge sweeping gestures and moves towards the more intimate as the song the first song that I'm thinking of now moves along yeah absolutely they're also
2: highly chromatic I mean they're definitely fully into the tonal world or Mm -hmm. still in the tonal Mm -hmm. world but they are very chromatic I wouldn't say that they are Tuneful, right. These, now, these
1: were written after Wagner had completed all of his operas. Exactly. Debussy would have been familiar with his writing.
2: Yeah, and as, as all composers were at that time, or, or not even just composers, but uh, in the artistic world, they were affected by Wagner one way or the other, even if they didn't like him. That's true. In fact, Debussy played a very similar
1: role in France to the role that Wagner played mm-hmm. in Germany and, in fact, in the whole world. Yeah. He really revolutionized harmony in a way that uh, inspired composers throughout the 20th century. And he was a very unique man for that. He changed the way that French people thought about music.
2: There are these pillars that sort of come along in time, and he is definitely one of them. Yeah, that's right.
1: The first song of the Baudelaire Five Songs is Le Balcon, The Balcony. It starts with a long piano introduction. Like I said, it's very orchestral in nature.
2: It's eight and a half minutes long, so fasten your seatbelts.
1: That's right. It has overlapping voices, and when I say that, I mean not only between the voices in the piano, but also between the voice singing and the lines in the piano. It's a very thick texture.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I think it requires complete complete partnership we've definitely talked about the union of of pianist and singer and how familiar one has to be with the other to make a really good piece of music come to life but uh, this I think takes it a step further absolutely it requires a ton of rehearsal really understanding your
1: partner understanding what drives them musically and and trying to get yourselves
2: really on the same wavelength So we have come up with just a couple of things to grab onto. We're not going to read the text for you. It's very long, um, but we want you to just sort of Enter into this world and give you a bit of an introduction, I guess. So, what can we think about while we're listening to this piece of music? Well, I think it's interesting to follow the twisting lines between voice and piano. I, the sound of the words are onomatopoeic. And I think actually the music is onomatopoeic in this way. Um, the music sounds the way the text is, if you. Um, yeah.
1: I, I, d- I definitely find that the music
2: informs
1: the outgoingness in the beginning and moving towards this more intimate feeling towards the middle of the piece. The music changes and reflects that at every turn.
2: Oh, and one sort of pretty fairly basic thing. There are a lot of repeated text lines with a lot of lines that are repeated. Um, The very first line, Mère des souvenirs, maîtresse des maîtresses. Mother of memories, mistress of mistresses. It's, It's a pretty great line, actually. It's a beautiful line. Yeah.
1: Here are Jonathan Sells and Mark Werder. (laughs)
0: i <laughs> us I'm
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Jonathan. It was
2: just an absolutely beautiful performance of that song. These poems were taken from Baudelaire's Fleur du Mal, his big collection, and we've seen that before. We have. We looked at
1: Duparc's setting of L'invitation au voyage not so long ago. In a sense, Debussy reacts in a very different way to Baudelaire than Duparc does, but also in a very different way than Debussy himself reacts to other poets like say Verlaine.
2: Yeah, why, why do you think... Um, Debussy was drawn to this text, as opposed to others.
1: Well, I assume that there was something in the nature of Baudelaire's poetry that suited a more Wagnerian approach to composition. Larger structure, yeah. um, less less specific
2: imagery, perhaps, or more uh, larger concepts behind his hmm. poetry? Totally. I mean, okay, so two years before these were composed, Debussy brings out his Ariette Oublier. That's Verlaine, poetry of Verlaine. Those songs are extremely different. It's amazing that he made this leap in those two years from yeah. those two things. Those songs are extremely, um, if I may say, tuneful. They yeah. are, they're a little bit easier to get into, I think, as an audience, yeah. as a musician. Um, Absolutely. And what I find so interesting and unique is that Debussy can change his compositional style so easily. Yeah, To suit the text.
1: Well, and it's something that earlier composers that Wolf did, for example, he would only write for one poet at a time. He would yeah. write for Heine only, or then Möderke only, or then the next collection by Goethe. Um, Schubert treats different poets entirely differently. Yeah,
2: or Pulenck even, who, who would only set a poet once he had heard him speak that particular text. Mm, what a so luxury. Cool. I
1: wish I could have been there to hear yeah. that myself. What first drew me to these songs? Yeah. Um, was actually, as a pianist, I played them when I was far too young. Uh, in fact, I think my teachers actually said that and discouraged me from learning them, but I, I couldn't stop myself, <laughs> perhaps because they discouraged me in the first place. What I was drawn by um, was the music and how it described the world around it. So we're about to talk about the third song of the group, which is called Le d'eau, The Fountain. And the image of the fountain is brought to life in the piano part. Mm-hmm. This was a really common thing in, amongst the French uh, composers at the time. They were writing all kinds of piano music. Uh, Liszt wrote his uh, Je d'eau à la ville d'Est. Uh, Ravel wrote uh, Je d'eau. And those are very technically flashy, virtuosic pieces for piano. And here we have a very different image of a fountain in the piano. But nonetheless, that watery world of, of wonder, to keep the alliteration going, <laughs> um, is very much alive here.
2: Well, the fountain itself has a lot of different meanings, has many meanings. Um, the symbol of the fountain could be could mean life force, spirituality, rejuvenation, for sure. Uh, and in this specific poem, it means uh, it actually changes. The fountain is a little bit of a character. The song is divided into three verses with a chorus, basically, that repeats three times. In the first verse, the fountain is uh, chattering. He's happy. He's prolonging the ecstasy. Uh, In the second, the fountain is spilling into the depths of the soul. In the third, the fountain cries, it sobs, and it's all about the French melancholy. So this poem is extremely sexy. There's levels, they've got this French happy and sad at the same time that we've tried to find an English word for and really couldn't quite pin it down. How about if we read the poem? Yeah, this is a very sexy poem. Here we go your beautiful eyes are tired poor darling keep them closed stay a long time still in that nonchalant pose in which pleasure came upon you out in the courtyard the chattering fountain never silent night or day is gently prolonging the ecstasy into which love has plunged me this evening the water sheaf which waves to and fro its thousand flowers, and through which the moon shines its pallid rays, falls like a shower of large teardrops. Even so your soul, set ablaze by the burning flash of pleasure, leaps up, rapid and bold, towards the vast enchanted skies, and then it spills, dying in a wave of sad languor down an invisible slope into the depths of my heart o beloved whom night makes so beautiful as i lean over your breasts i find it sweet to listen to the eternal lament that sobs in the fountain basins o moon sounds of water blessed night o trees trembling all around your pure melancholy is the mirror of my love
1: So I read that Baudelaire was constantly searching for links between spirituality and sensuality, and I really think that this song that we just heard is a
2: perfect example of that. And the idea that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, that the music sounds like the words. That onomatopoeic notion, this sort of idea that... Meaning and sound. Meaning and sound is linked. It's unified.
1: Absolutely. Actually, my teacher, Margot Garrett, often talks about onomatopoetry. poetry which apparently, this word, you can only find it in the largest English dictionary available. <laughs> and that dictionary you can only find in the largest libraries. And uh, after you look up onomatopoetic, no, after Onomatopo- you look up onomatopoeia, on, on- 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 then you, after that you can find onomatopoetic. And that implies that not only does a word sound like its meaning, but that an entire poem can sound like its meaning. And, and uh, Baudelaire and Debussy certainly reach that
2: here. Yeah, Mark uh, had a couple of things to say about this Um, Mark is actually doing his doctorate on Baudelaire, so we, we asked him about if he had anything to say about him specifically, and he said this. He came to the realization towards the end of his life that music was the ultimate art, superior even to language and poetry, as it communicates things which words cannot describe, including spirituality and sensuality. Composers find Baudelaire hard to set, as the emotions and the atmosphere are complex and not very straightforward. True. Jonathan, our baritone today, also shared a few
1: words that I really enjoyed reading. He wrote, Of course, no song is really alive unless someone is listening. And these songs in particular are dependent on an atmosphere, a temperature, and a smell in their world. This can only truly be created by communal imagination and by interpersonal communication. Mm. I also find the high temperature of the musical idiom perfectly suited to Baudelaire's poetic landscape which is often passionate to the point of sickliness, and, of course, ennui. This is also why do Park settings work so well. I love the idea of communal imagination and interpersonal communication in recital. What That is a beautiful description of what it is to be in a small room and to share that experience of yeah. listening and performing.
2: Yeah, just a beautiful expression. Good job, Jonathan. Beautiful <laughs> words. So uh, this last song that we're going to hear, but the fourth song in the set is recueillement, and it means meditation. And uh, as with, the, with these themes that we keep coming back to again and again, the music really accompanies the text in, a, in an almost meditative way at first, as the title would suggest. The piano acts as a direct commentary on the text. It's dark, it can be violent. These textures are very thick. Um, in the end, it resolves, if not happily, at least I think in, in a resigned way. So let's get
1: into the mood here with the poem in his translation into english be wise o my sorrow be calmer you implored the evening it falls here it is a dusky air surrounds the town bringing peace to some worry to others whilst the worthless crowd of humanity lashed by pleasure that merciless torturer to go gather remorse in slavish rejoicing give me your hand my sorrow come with me far from them See the dead years leaning in worn out clothing on the balconies of the sky. See how regret, grinning, rises from the deep waters. The dying sun goes to sleep in an archway and like a long shroud dragging from the east, hear, oh my dear one, hear the soft night approaching.
0: He's on the road,
2: So we've been very remiss, and we haven't talked at all about our esteemed colleagues and performers today.
1: That's, that's right. Jonathan Sells, baritone. He studied at Cambridge and at the Guildhall. Hall. He's performed with Les Jardins des Voix, which is Bill Christie's Young Artist Program. Uh, he attended the Verbier Festival Academy, Britain Peers School. He performs all kinds of repertoire, and if you want to find out more about him, go to his website. It's lovely.
2: Yeah, great website, and we'll have that link um, on... On my website, in fact, at the end. Uh, Mark, I know from Banff, where we studied together. We did a two-week course with singer Edith Wiens, um, where we were learning about art song. He is also the co-artistic director of the Chelsea Schubert Festival. Um, he's won a lot of accompanist prizes, including the Kathleen Ferrier. Big deal. Uh, he performs all over Europe, and he works with, actually, with singer Kate Royal. Who's I'm a, jealous. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a, she is a big deal. Um, and Claire Booth, and Jonathan, of course, to name just a very few. Excellent.
1: Well, in the spirit of Baudelaire today, I say to our dear mother of memories, our mistress of mistresses, our producer, Matthew Principe, thank you very much. We couldn't do this without you. Broadcasting and producing these podcasts, while artistically fulfilling, is an investment by both myself and Martha. If you'd like to help subsidize these costs or just get in touch with us, please email songcast at marthaguth.com, and we'll be in touch about how we can work together.
2: Again, that's songcast at
1: marthaguth.com.
2: You've been listening to Sparks and Wiry Cries, where your hosts, Martha Guth and Erica Switzer.